Well, let me tell you, while Elon Musk is talking about that, Ford is increasing their investment overwhelmingly. I think Ford is increasing the investment in building new electric vehicles, 6,000 new employees, union employees, I might add, in the Midwest. Um, the former Chrysler Corporation, Stellantis, they are also making similar investments in electric vehicles. Intel is adding 20,000 new jobs for making computer chips. Um, so, uh, you know, lots of luck on this trip to the moon. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, you know. Broadcasting from the Big Peach of Atlanta, Georgia. A show unfiltered, unscripted, raw. The Patriot Angle Podcast. Alrighty, guys. Uh, welcome to tonight's show. Welcome. This is the Patriot Angle Podcast Unfiltered with Michael Gardner. Uh, today, guys, we have a special guest uh, joining us all the way from the country of Japan. Uh, on the uh, show today is Ken, uh, a former cop, soldier, and lifelong martial artist. Uh, also, uh, he is now a political uh, economicus. If I can't pronounce that word today. How you doing, Ken? I am very well. Pleased to join you. Thanks uh, for having a, me. It's an honor to have you joining us all the way from Japan. Uh, you want to tell us a little story, uh, you know, how you got to Japan? Sure. It started probably when I was a young man, well, even an adolescent, 10 or 11 years old, got very interested in the ninja boom when Stephen K. Hayes started publishing his books and the program Shogun, that miniseries was on TV. I watched that, really got fascinated lots of movies and things along those lines, messing around with my brother, practicing martial arts in the backyard. And I wound up joining the military and seeing the world a little bit, got into law enforcement when I was 24, started training in Aikido primarily, and it's been with me ever since. And I was also part-time with the military and started angling my career away from the combat arms, got into political military affairs, traveled the world, Africa, Europe, wound up in Japan finally, and then I retired here, and I love it. So that's, that's how I, I mean, that's really the short course in how I wound up in Japan. I was able right. to get the military to pay for my move and then just decided to stick around because I do indeed love it here. Yeah, um, that's, 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 that's an interesting story. And uh, I mean, you're like, you're pretty much it's the next day for you. You know, it's Saturday morning there. And uh, and and uh, I'm, I'm told you live in Tokyo, correct? Yes. Tokyo. Right. So it's what is it about like eight o'clock in the morning there? It's nine oh five. Yeah. Nine oh five on a Saturday morning, folks. I mean, he's literally joining us from around the world, uh, so to speak. Uh, it's the future. You know, it's <laughs> pretty much. Right. We haven't even seen Saturday yet. It's still. uh eight o'clock PM Eastern here on the East coast of uh, United States here in Atlanta, Georgia. 
So that's that's pretty uh, pretty fascinating. I haven't had anybody on the show literally uh, joining the show, you know, uh, into the future, you know, the next day, so to speak. So that's good stuff. Good stuff. Um, and uh, by the way, Ken, thank you for your service, by the way. Yeah, I appreciate that. And really, it's not so much about me. I came back with all my fingers and toes. Thank goodness. But uh, I have some friends that did not make it back at all and other people that came back completely maimed and permanently scarred and disfigured. So since yeah. it was Memorial Day just recently and whew, it's a bit of an emotional roller coaster every year, you know, because and I'm sure I'm sure you hold that day very, very close to your heart. Memorial Day, as as other service members do. Yeah, especially getting to see things from the ugly side, the political side and, uh, you know, the the band of brothers and the the valiant warriors that went forward and did what their country asked them to do. And when you start to look at it from a larger perspective, you see the geopolitical machinations taking place. That's when my blood starts to really boil. Right. And, you know, you mentioned a really good topic, uh, which I've discussed on this show many times, the geopolitical angle of it, the uh, agenda. What do you see uh, going on right now, especially in the United States, um, I don't know if you get the same amount of media coverage there in Japan like we do here in the States. Do you see it, you know, a little bit different now that you're out of the service compared to what's being shown now? Well, I mean, I was very patriotic and was eager to join the military the day after I turned 17. So I was all in, and during the first Gulf War, 1991, I was chomping at the bit to get in there. And then when 9-11 happened, again, I was one of the first ones to volunteer to go over. And you know, it took a, lot, a little bit longer than I had anticipated. But I wound up doing three tours over there in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, you know, I was all up in it. I wanted to be there. And then I started to see, well, things aren't really working as well as was promised. And, you know, the systems and processes of the military bureaucracies were very bogged down and were very retarding to the war efforts. And I just said, something's not right. So one day while we were out on patrol and I was working six days on one day off and doing route clearance patrol because I was an explosive ordnance disposal technician, you know, bomb squad kind of guy. And Flaming tanker had been hit by a roadside bomb that we were supposed to be protecting. You know, it didn't happen on my watch. But this tanker was 7,000 liters of gasoline that we, the war effort was running up from Kuwait along this main supply route, Tampa. And it got hit by a roadside bomb, and it was burning just out of this small hole in the side of the tanker itself. So they didn't want to put it out because there's 7,000 liters of gasoline in there so they just let it burn and it burned for five days straight so every day for the six days of my work week i drove past it watched it burn on the way down and then on the way back and at the same time if you recall around 2007 the price of a barrel of oil shot up to 140 dollars so i'm thinking here we are this seven vehicle convoy we're burning all this fuel to keep the supply routes open and this vehicle gets burned from a roadside bomb and the price of oil, there's got to be a connection there. You know, there's got to be a connection with all the fuel that we're burning doing these patrols with all the fuel that they're sending up from Kuwait to supply the war effort. And then 
the fuel that's getting destroyed in the attacks and then the price of oil on the world stage. So that's what really drew me out of my little localized, let me add them kind of scrappy do mentality and to start thinking about, okay, there's a connection here. What are those connections? And that's what led me to study economics. And eventually you start to realize there's a heck of a lot more going on in the world and it is really driven by economics. So when you look oh, at sure. geopolitics, it's all about economics. It's all about control of resources. And I really, really want the Patriot community to really start looking at economics and studying the principles there. And then the real world starts to open up to you. You know, Ken, I, I agree with you on that. I, I think, you know, uh, we've seen a, a, a huge political shift uh, in the last possibly 10 or maybe 15 years now you know, with all these different types of uh, presidential administrations coming in, you know, now we have Biden in control and previous to that was Trump and then Obama. There's such a huge, huge difference between these three presidential administrations. Um, You know, of course, I mean, and it goes all the way back to Bush even, you know, and a lot of this, you know, some people like to blame it on Bush, but I look at as, you know, they're all the same pretty much, Ken. You know, they, you know, a politician is a politician. You know, they can promise so many different things, you know, for us Americans and then, of course, the world too as well. But when it comes down to it, they don't, a lot of them, they don't deliver. You know what I mean? They don't deliver the results. And we've seen that firsthand. And our country is still the greatest country in the face of, you know, on the world. Right. I mean, so many different uh, types of opportunities to be uh, uh, to fulfill here in the States. But, you know, we're seeing this, you know, especially the military. You know, uh, we've had a depleted military under under uh, Obama. Uh, Trump rebuilt it. And it seems like we're going back to the old Obama days under this administration. You know, do you care to, you know, comment on that or? Absolutely, because there's a continuity when you look at the foreign policy. It really hasn't changed all that much post 9-11. All the presidents thereafter, all the administrations seem to carry on the same basic contours of foreign policy. You know, even Obama came in and said that he was going to change the standing of the United States in the world. But he actually opened up new fronts in the war of terror. He continued on with all the same. He didn't end anything. He didn't close Guantanamo. He didn't do really much of anything that was very different from his predecessor. And for all of the great rhetoric that Trump came in with, not much changed in terms of what was going on internationally. He said things about ending NATO, but he kept it going. He decided to send a big bill to the Japanese for the U.S.-Japan alliance, said they weren't paying their fair share, and... That never got paid. So what we're seeing is great continuity. And I'm going to give you my formula up front. It starts with two basic postulates. One comes from Sun Tzu, the art of war. And that is all war is based on deception. All war, not just some, but all war. And then the second one comes from Von Clausewitz, the great, uh, excuse me, the great Prussian theorist and strategist. And he wrote a book on war. And he said that war is just politics by other means. So if you take those two postulates together, all war is based on deception. 
and war is politics by other means, you get to understand that war and politics are functional equivalents on the same spectrum, along a right. line of spectrum. Right. And a lot of that. Can, yeah, I'm sorry. A lot of then, that. Piggy... Go ahead. I'm sorry. You can conclude then that all politics is based on deception. And oh, sure. that's another message that I really like your audience to understand is that when you look at politics, know that you're looking at war and war is always based on deception. What is the objective of war? It's to force people to the will of the victor. And what does that mean? Force people to the will. It always comes down to resources and it's the control of resources that matter. That's what I want people to take away from my experience. Right. Right. A lot of that uh, also piggybacks off of uh, the old uh, 1984 uh, novel of uh, George Orwell, uh, which he had actually put in his book. Uh, so what you had just mentioned, kind of like I said, piggybacks off that book a lot. You know, um, what George Orwell seen in 1984 up to the coming events that we're experiencing now in a modern world. Right. We're seeing it happen pretty much every single day we're seeing uh deception we're seeing division we're seeing uh chaos we're seeing rhetoric we're seeing all of it ken and you know to end all that i believe uh, you know we we have to become more united i know that sounds crazy in in a lot of people's mindsets but to become united in this world that's when you truly end all of it but you know i mean we have to come to reality i don't think that will ever happen you know, and in our lifetime, always bear in mind that the political caste have a design to keep people distracted and keep them confused. And also, this is a big one, keep them in fear, because when people are afraid, they will then look to those public officers, those government actors, those international organizations to restore order in some way. And of course, those people have an incentive all people respond to incentives. That's one of the principles of economics. Those people in power that are going to shape that new order are going to create it in a way that benefits them at everyone else's expense because they want the control of resources and not the least of which is human resources. So when you talk about unity, that's absolutely true. But unity doesn't mean uniformity. So therefore, people need to recognize that the way to liberty, the way to restore what made America great is not by everybody doing the same thing, but by making things as local as possible. Politics needs to stay local. And so avoiding all of these internationalist, globalist designs and the inroads that they're making through Agenda 2030 and environmental policy and all those things are all part of the great deception and the great deception is designed to gain control of those resources the solution oh, sure. is to keep things local sure so local self-governance was the objective of the revolution and the constitution and you know uh ladies and gentlemen i mean what you're hearing on the show today is uh definitely uh not only a former cop and a soldier uh to his label but a true advocate uh to the service of liberty uh, which you, my my friend, uh, sir, you, you pretty much uh, deserve that title. You do have a service to liberty, as what you're saying here on the show uh, fits those words very, very accurately. 
Uh, now you use the um, the actors, right? The government actors, and uh, I like that that term. Uh, I've never heard that term before, uh, so it's a little new to me. But I like it, and we're seeing that right now under this administration, um, which you know a lot of people will kind of chuckle probably after they hear me say this on the show. Uh, I see uh, a lot of of political cartoons, so to speak, coming out of this administration, especially the Biden administration. And the reason why I say that is it's a little different from the last three administrations uh, with Trump, Obama and Bush. Uh, We're seeing a lot of flip flops uh, scenarios under Biden. Um, I'm not sure if you're following what I'm saying, but you could see what he says and then he flip flops back to what he originally said, said probably, you know, 20 or 30 years ago when he first got into politics. Are you seeing that under Biden or are you just seeing something entirely different? Absolutely. I mean, you look at his stance on gay marriage, you look at his stance on certain criminal activities and you know that he is not a principled individual. Well, he's a puppet. I mean, we see that. Yeah. Absolutely. And what we are seeing, it kind of goes back to that movie, The Matrix, where whenever you see a deja vu scenario or you see the cat was shimmering, I think it was in the first Matrix. It's glitches in the Matrix, this facade, this deception that they're putting forward to present to the people has massive holes in it. And when you see those flip flops, you recognize that this deception operation is faulty that they don't have all their bases covered and i want to go back to that idea of government actors calling them government actors rather than the government remember what the constitution says and i want people to really get this and wake up to the idea that we the people are the government right not though and so people talk about the second amendment oh you're going to fight the government with your ar-15 no i'm going to restore the government with my ar-15 Because we, the people, are the government, not the politicians and the bureaucrats and the cronies. Well, here's the thing, Ken. Yeah, here's the thing, Ken. You know, like you mentioned the original formula, the original uh, agenda for the Constitution, right? The Bill of Rights, uh, what our four founding fathers had set down in place. Now, folks, these were four men, four men that literally signed their death warrants, They knew what they were getting into. They knew that this was going to be bloodshed upon bloodshed so many years ago when they signed this great document. The the greatest document that was ever signed for the United States was the Constitutional Bill of Rights. Okay, when they signed this, Ken, they knew that they were facing extreme threats upon their lives but they knew ken this this was the ultimate sacrifice that they had to do in order to store laws in this country and you know fast forward you know what is almost what now 200 some odd years that document is still in place but you know what what's really sad ken is you know you have a new type of society that doesn't honor the same principles that America once stood for. And I think a lot of it has to do with media, you know, uh, manipulating uh, this generation, because when you don't know your history, it's very easily 
uh, to manipulate a, a society that doesn't know that, you know, that doesn't know it accurately. You know what I mean? I do. And we have to go back to those founding principles. We remember that the Declaration of Independence was signed by people who pledged their lives, their fortunes and their sacred honor. And I right. think that resonates well with somebody who studies samurai related martial arts or any martial arts for that matter. I think that the American character originally had a sense of honor as well. And that is slowly eroding. If there's anything left of it, I haven't been to the United States in quite a while. So uh, yeah, I don't know. There, there's but, a lot of toxins in this country. I can tell you, uh, you're not missing uh, much. <laughs> no. And I'm fortunate that I get to curate the news that I watch or absorb and digest. So I get to see it and I look at everything through the lens of, political economy now so i look at it as a scientist rather than just a consumer and i'd really like people to start to wake up to that idea as well is that you really need to stand guard at the doorway of your mind and be a right. zen warrior who is filtering everything through that lens of principle and to go back to that constitution remember it was designed to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity so we right. as inheritors of that great legacy need to also preserve the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity and that is the great challenge of, of our lives you know you brought up something about people that are disillusioned and don't see a lot of hope and again this is the challenge that we in this generation need to rise up to so that they have a legacy to pass on oh absolutely Absolutely. Um, you know, there's a uh, there's another um, topic here I wanted to get into uh, with you, uh, which I feel uh, deserves a, uh, a base here, a platform on the show. Uh, but uh, Ken, keep that thought in mind. I got to get a quick break in, but we're going to be right back. I want to get into the whole story, uh, kind of getting off a little bit of topic here. But I want to get into another topic because it, this topic here, Ken, has a lot to do with what we're talking about. Guys, don't touch the dial. We'll be right back after these short words. Look around. The world is changing. Fast. And while some people hang on to the way things have always been, others are showing us the way they could be. There's a growing movement comprised of those who won't compromise. Those with the desire to push things forward coded right into their DNA. They are the creators. They unleash their ideas on diehard believers as well as the unconvinced. They make something new where there was nothing before, shining a light to reveal what others can't see. So we say to all creators, your time is now to champion fresh ideas, build new movements, and earn what you deserve. From here on out, you define creativity, community, and commerce. We're just here to provide everything you need to make all that you imagine and share it with the world at the speed of culture. This is Spring for Creators. Have you heard of Rumble.com? It's like YouTube, but without big tech censorship. I'm over there at Rumble.com now, and you should be too. All right, guys, uh, back to the show here. Uh, joining us today is uh, Ken. Uh, he's a former cop and a former soldier, and he also has a, uh, a desire, passion uh, for the service of liberty. 
Uh, welcome back to the show, uh, Ken. Ken, um, you know, we're talking about a lot of good stuff here on the show. You know, we're talking about deception. We're talking about uh, the true purpose of liberty here on the show uh, and, you know, what it means to people. You know, um, I want to get into another topic with you uh, because I have a huge, a huge passion, not only for politics, but I have a, uh, a huge um, opinion on what's going on with social media. I kind of basically got into a little bit of you uh, with it, with you, excuse me, uh, uh, before the show started uh, with social media and censorship and, you know, uh, you know, the attack on free speech. Uh, We're seeing it very heavily being played out here in the United States. I'm not sure if it is being played out heavily there in the country of Japan, but I could tell you right now, Ken, Free speech is pretty much under attack here in the United States. Uh, are you seeing that in Japan, or is it is it seems to be just an issue here in the United States? I think the United States enjoys a certain privilege that is not available anywhere else in the world, which makes it so precious. And anywhere else in the world is already captured. Most of the media in other countries is tax funded right and and regulated just like the bbc people have to pay a tax here in japan nhk is also paid for directly through taxation whereas in the united states the public broadcasting system yes it's tax subsidized and so it's basically a propaganda outlet no different than the pravda of the soviet union i mean it's more blatant and right the United States is unique in that sense. In Germany, there are certain people that can go to jail for the things that they say. Oh, sure. So free speech is not enshrined in any governmental contract anywhere else in the world. Well, and you mentioned Germany. I mean, their political the back. States. That's dangerous. Right. I mean, you mentioned Germany. I mean, their political backyard has been the same, you know, since the early 1900s and even before then, you know, um, that's right. They're still living in Bismarck's Germany. It's no different yeah. from 1872. Yeah, I mean, this goes even further back before the uh, the Hitler era. I mean, this this is. I mean, they've been pr- pretty much practicing that same political specter, so to speak, for the last what now 200 years, if that, maybe more. Well, I would again, as I said, it's 1872 in Germany. It's still Bismarck's Germany. And what did Bismarck do? He said that he wanted to defeat the communist wave by adopting socialist policies. So, you know, it was all about concentrating power. And he said that he was going to prevent the rise of communism by adopting socialist policies. Well, what does that sound like? It's exactly like FDR. It's the same thing with the Cold War. We wanted to defeat the Soviet Union. Therefore, we needed to create this massive military industrial complex and control industry so that we can have this Cold War. And oh, sure. Th- this is what I mean by you see a continuity in policies that has been taking place all over the world, a little bit slower, but still has the same basic contours in the United States. So what we're seeing is creeping socialism of infecting the United States as well. And, of course, in order to enact socialist policies, you need to have a massive, massive propaganda campaign to get the people to accept it. So you have to have both the carrot and stick. And that's exactly what is being witnessed in the United States. 
you're suppressing dissident voices, whether it be through social media, whether it be through cutting them off from the banking system, you know, yeah. Operation Choke Point, an Obama era legacy, but we're seeing it today. And you saw that with the Canadian truckers, where people that wanted to support that protest movement saw their funds seized. So control of the resources. Always think about this is what the real war is about. Control of resources. Oh, yeah. And controlling the means. Like So it, it always comes down to private property because the freedom of speech is meaningless if you don't have an outlet like what we're on right now. And that's why the freedom of the press was enshrined in the Bill of Rights. It's so important to be able to speak, but you also need the means, the physical means of getting your word out. So if it's a printing press, if it's a website, if it's a podcast, if it's YouTube or what have you, whatever those outlets are, those need to be held in private hands and kept free from political interference. That's the yeah. only way out of this con uh, creeping socialism I, I, problem. I, I, I think that was the problem there when social media first took its its platform, right, uh, in the early 2000s. Um, I was basically in college then. And I remember when social media first got its first launch, of course, before Facebook and Twitter and Instagram ever came into existence. We had the original formula of it through um, a platform which i don't even think exists anymore it was called myspace uh, i always looked as myspace as the original facebook right and there was i can remember this ken as it was yesterday we never had a problem uh with the original uh social media uh platform there was no censorship there was no fact checking there was none of that garbage that you see today i think the problem that you mentioned and you brought up a good point you know when social media introduced its way to politics, that's when it became a problem. You know, when government had put its hands on it, its footprint, right? That's when it became a problem. And now it's looked as a subsidy of, and this is my opinion now, guys, and you can agree with me or not, but I look at social media as now a subsidy of, of a government agency. You know what I mean? I mean, you see it through the, uh, you know, the we just were told, you know, the, the, the person or the people that had a huge influence on fact-checking with this whole ministry of truth, which, which we've seen a little glimpse of it, you know, in the 80s and everything before social media and the Internet ever came into existence. You know, do you see some type of government, um, you know, agency under social media or do you think it's an entirely different entity? See, this is where I'm going to put my criminal investigator hat back on and tell okay. people to follow the money. Follow if you actually way. trace the funding for where Facebook and a lot of other Silicon Valley enterprises comes from, you can trace that back to government funding. And the Stanford Research Laboratory, as well as InQtel, which is the CIA's venture capital firm that spreads money around these different budding industries and technologies to get a result. And Facebook derives a lot of their funding and maybe even some technological support through those types of outlets. So you're seeing that there was a government hand from inception in a lot of these social media giants. What happens is they keep it free. They allow people to think that they're getting 
a platform and that attracts them to bootstrap the platform and get people interested in it. And then they start to slowly restrict access and to shape the message and to change the algorithms to support the policy that they want to institute. Right. So it's a little bit insidious from its inception. And again, I tell everybody to follow the money, do your own research. And you brought up these so-called fact checkers. If you actually look at the money behind those organizations, you'll see that they are nothing but front groups for the same people that are trying to shape the policy. So a lot of, and there's a famous one, the pointer organization, the pointer group or pointer Institute supposed to be all about good journalism. And they're one of the big proponents of this fact check movement. Well, that's just AstroTurf for the political elite. You'll see that they get money from the Gates Foundation and, and basically. Oh, it's, it's yeah, it's it's, it's all funded through Gates and Soros and everything else. Yeah, uh, which they have a huge uh, influence over. But, you know, we're on this uh, uh, the social media topic here. You know, just recently, which you're pretty much well aware of, Elon Musk just bought Twitter. Um, we heard that for months upon months before, prior to his purchase that he had a high interest in purchasing Twitter. Now, when he's shown that interest of purchasing Twitter, a lot of liberals here in the United States were in fear of him doing this. Well, why were they in fear? Well, <laughs> he can loosen up the restrictions, you know, meaning fact-checking and censorship and shadow banning and all these type of uh, big tech terminologies, right? Now, he could still do that. We haven't seen it done yet, or we haven't seen, we've seen a little bit of the restrictions uh, come off with Twitter, a little bit, but do you think he's going to go to that avenue? And if he does go that avenue, Ken, do you think this is a, going to be a big step for social media, because um, I don't know if you're on true social, you know, Donald Trump's uh, platform. That's uh, what I'm told is doing phenomenal, uh, not only here in the United States, but now across the world, it's becoming available in other countries. Um, do you think that Elon Musk's Twitter will join the same avenue and the same roots as true social and now rumble? I think it's way too early to tell, just like the deal itself. I understand that the deal hasn't gone through and there's a couple of hiccups as far as what's going on with the due diligence that precedes the actual sale. The fact right. that he made an offer and the board accepted it, well, now they need to actually open up the books. And that even is enough to trigger the left. And again, that goes back to what we talked about earlier. They need to control the narrative because massive propaganda is a prerequisite to instituting these socialist policies. And you oh, made sure. mention of the book 1984, which is great. I think there's a scene in there where he has to be convinced or he has to admit that two and two does not equal four. It, it equals five or some other number. And the yeah. same thing is going on right now where <laughs> the left wants to convince people that there are not two genders. And in order to do that, there needs to be a massive campaign. He uses both a carrot and a stick. They sanction people and they just suppress any dissident voices that do not support this 
leftist propaganda. So it is yet to be seen whether or not Twitter actually changes things materially. We've seen some minor changes, but that might be just like what a boa constrictor does, right? It it allows you to take a breath and then every time you exhale, it tightens. So I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the rhetoric enough was enough was sufficient to scare the left, just like Donald Trump. He really didn't do much materially, but his rhetoric was enough to trigger the left into a frenzy. And that's what we're seeing right now. Yeah, he didn't do much. I, I agree with that. You know, he didn't do much. But I mean, yes, he was only a one term president. And, you know, God willing, if he does run in 2024, which I don't know if he is or not, but um you know, he only had four years. I, I think, you know, to be honest with you, he, he did a he did a lot in four years. Um, the only suit that I I think he did best was 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 uh, was his uh, foreign policy. He had a very very strong foreign policy. Um, a lot of world leaders uh, uh, got along with Trump. Uh, I mean, Christ, we've seen the dictator of North Korea. I mean, literally walking side by side. I mean. <laughs> You don't see that with many uh, leaders here in the United States, even senators and congressmen and women. I no, mean, you right. know, and leadership matters. Definitely. Yeah. It sets the tone. I mean, he even had respect from uh, President Xi of China. I mean, you know, that says a lot, you know, for a businessman turned politician. And, you know, I think, you know, we talk about Donald Trump as we close it out here and then Elon Musk. I mean, maybe that's what we need for this country, Ken, is a businessman that knows what's best for America and not a politician that's just going to, you know, say the same broken promises that they've been saying for the last 20, 40 years. Yeah, I agree that there needs to be a change in leadership because, as I said earlier, leadership does matter. It sets the tone. The unfortunate thing about all of that is the bureaucracy is overwhelming. You look what happened with Ukraine when Trump even hinted at not giving Ukraine weaponry, somebody within the Pentagon, this Vinkman, Lieutenant Colonel type, decided that he was going to carry on with the program exactly how he had envisioned it, regardless of what the president's orders were. And that's just a metaphor of what the bureaucracy did. They call it the deep state, and people want to debate the fact of whether or not it exists. I think it's it's absolutely undeniable. It's very much alive, yes. The more bureaucracy that exists is the deeper the state becomes. There's no denying it. And oh, I, I was part of it for a long time. So Yeah, I, th- it, I think we're living under a, uh, a shadow government right now, especially with this administration. A lot of people think that, uh, you know, Big Brother, you know, a lot of people like to look at it as Big Brother as Joe Biden. But I th- really think that Big Brother is not Joe Biden. I think Joe Biden is basically the puppet and the person that's pulling the strings is somebody else. Uh, Because, you know, if you did pay attention earlier in this uh, podcast episode, folks, I plugged in a video with reporters questioning Joe Biden about a statement. And he's totally flip flopping the uh, the entire statement like Joe is, you know, he's Kenny's not there. I mean, I've said it many times on the show. The elevator doesn't go to the top floor with this president. You know, he's they're talking about something else. And then he's going into like. You know, you know, good luck with Elon Musk if he lands on the moon. Like, Joe, we're not talking. We're talking about something else. So I, I I, think you talk about the deep state, you know, which I think is very much alive here in this country. There is a shadow government. I don't think Joe is running the show there at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. A lot of people are oddly thinking it is either 
uh, Obama maybe possibly having a third term under a disguise of some type of old constitutional amendment that may have never been passed or it has been passed and we just don't know about it or possibly uh, Nancy Pelosi. There's been a lot of rumors of that. So I don't know. I think all those people are simply figureheads and that the real policies are set in rooms far different from the places where they stand. And that's why we see, again, looking at foreign policy, there was continuity of policy from 9-11 till today, and no president really did much to change it materially. No. And I think that this Biden administration, like you said, is certainly not running the show. It's certainly not Joe Biden himself. He can't think he's just carrying on talking points, but that's how all government offices work. I mean, when I was in combatant commands, you have four star generals that get hit with some news thing. And then he turns to his staff and says, what are we doing about this? And then the low level staffers write the talking points and the high level staffers come up with the policy positions and the generals are just figureheads. And that's, within the military let alone the entire united states federal system well we see trump just comment just recently you know with four-star generals you know that uh with the whole afghanistan uh pull out just just recently last year i mean he said you have four-star generals now that are more like wusses i mean you have these generals that don't even know what the hell they're doing like advisors under 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 biden like who the hell pulls out their military uh, 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 command units first, but leaves all the weapons last? I, I mean, you know, that's one hundred percent right. I used to work with an old grizzly cop who was a Korean War veteran, and yeah. he said that he went over there as a Marine and said, "This is no way to win a war," and you know, wound up leaving the Marines after his tour, and then he wound yeah. up becoming a cop, et cetera. You know, I said the same thing to myself in in Iraq and then even more so in Afghanistan. I was like, there's no way that winning this war can be the focus or the objective of the policies that we're seeing play out because it's just absurd. And the bureaucracy is just incompetent. And it doesn't matter. You want to love the country. That doesn't mean you need to love the incompetent bureaucracies. You know, the, the same, the same army that killed Pat Tillman, is the one that you're waving your flag for. It's not the army that is the backbone of the United States. It's the liberty of the American people. And that's what I mean, needs to come to the fore. I mean, what he did, Ken, was like, I mean, you even had you even had far leftists of this country scratching their heads like, come on, Joe. Like, do you realize what the hell you just did? You just literally built an army of modern weaponry for the Taliban. Literally. And then now you have terrorists, literally terrorist units running that country. I never thought in my wildest uh, dreams I would see that. You know, it's not a dream. Actually, it's a nightmare to, to have a terrorist group run a country like that and then gift it. We literally gave him a Christmas gift of weapons and modern military equipment that was purchased through uh, when President Donald Trump was in office. I mean, equipment that, you know, now the enemy knows everything about. Well, take it another step further. During the Obama administration, that dust up in Syria was at its height. And there was a time 
when the Department of Defense and the U.S. military was funding one group of rebels and the yeah. CIA was fun, uh, funding and arming a competing faction. So, yeah. And that was more aligned with Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State. So, again, this is the message that I want everyone to take away is that when you say, quote unquote, the U.S. government, you're not talking about one thing. You're talking about factions. You're talking about competing bureaucracies. You're talking about parochialism. And everybody wants their share of the pie. So don't give them the credit of calling them the government. Call it well, the this, Army. Call it Ken, the Department this is, of Defense. This is, not, this is not the same government that when it was first started out. I mean, we, we aren't – this isn't a government. This this Well, it is a government, but it, it, it acts as more of a, of a corporation. You know, when they say the United States is – is is a country it, it acts more of a, a like like a corporation than anything you know because if you look at it like that it's true you know the government is funded by the people if the people don't work they don't get funded that's a corporation you know and that's a good way to look at it but it's a better way to just call it a mafia well and that when too. you say a mafia you're talking about not just one family you're talking about competing families they might yeah. all be extortionists and racketeers and that's the same for the political caste as well i'm talking about the politicians the bureaucrats and the cronies anybody who derives their living through taxation is part of this machine it's yeah. a looting machine it's best to call it a kleptocracy yeah. and you can love your country and recognize also that there is always a criminal element and so there needs to be new safeguards for our liberty and fortunately they are already written into the constitution the only wow. problem is there's a massive massive waking up that needs to happen because the propaganda is thick and again all war is based on deception well ken as i close it out we need to uh we need to wake up you know we don't we, we don't need to be woke because that's what's going on in the country right now. Everything is woke, which I can't I, – I, I, I hate that word, woke. It's like, what? No. Yeah, and you've got the generals in the military that are more focused on advancing all these woke agenda items, LGBTQ issues and women, peace, and security. All of that just, has nothing to I do with – I just labeled this on my show last States. night. I did a piece on uh, how the Marine Corps now is honoring the Pride Month here in America – which I call the alphabet month, right? Because it's the LGBTQ plus, right? Sorry if I'm offending anybody. Well, actually I'm not. If you're, if you're offended, oh, well, I don't live by the new principles, Ken. I'm old school. I mean, my grandparents, if they were still alive, they would be ashamed of what's going on today. Yeah, I'm kind of laughing because the B in that LGBTQ plus formula, the B means binary, right? Bisexual. So yeah. that kind of admits that there's only two genders. Yeah. So that you see the incoherence that they're okay to sit in when they yeah. advance these ideas. Yeah, I just, that's what I just the generals got, care about more of. Yeah, I just got yelled at uh, the other day uh, by a uh, by a transgender uh, person the other day saying, uh, "You need to accept me." And I looked at them and I said, "You want me to accept you, but you can't even accept yourself for what you really are." Oh, okay. Good luck with that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and when I was a cop, I dealt with a number of those people. And again, I accept them. That doesn't mean I have to countenance bad behavior. That doesn't mean I need to accept you in my restaurant or my facility. You know, yeah. that's what private property means, the right to include or exclude. So I yeah. accept you, but that doesn't mean you have the right to access my things, my property, my 
spaces. I, I tell you, I tell you, you know, Lady Liberty right now is uh, is in tears, you know, over there at the uh, Hudson River there in New York, New Jersey. She's in tears right now because I'm sure she sees what's going on in this country. Can we have a broken society as well as a broken nation? And it's going to take a lot to fix this country, a lot. Yeah, and again, you need to build the mental, spiritual, emotional fortitude. And then I suggest you do that by way of training in a martial art because it is everyone's duty, every able-bodied citizen's duty to be organized, armed, and disciplined to execute the laws, repel invasions, and suppress insurrections without reliance upon the political caste. That's the only way to take back this country. Personal fortitude and then contribute it to the maintenance of a free society. Yeah, absolutely. But sadly, uh, we may not see that in our lifetimes. Uh, It's going to happen, but I'm... like I said, sadly, I don't think it's going to happen in, in our lifetimes. It's going to take a lot more suffering, unfortunately, to wake people yeah, up. But Unfortunately. You can uh, see that Ken, in your own life as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ken, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I want to uh, thank you for giving your insights, uh, your story. Uh, I also want to thank you again for the service of uh, uh, your service and your sacrifice to this great country. We are still a great country, but... Uh, you know, we are, you know, somewhat of a, uh, we, we, we need to, we need to go into a healing process, but I want to thank you for coming on this show. I want to, uh, thank you for taking your time out of your business, busy day. And, uh, please, uh, always continue the great fight, sir. Thank you. And you too. I appreciate your efforts with this podcast and helping to wake people up. Thank you very much, sir. Patriot unfiltered. You just heard an episode of the Patriot Angle Podcast in Unfiltered Patriot Productions. Please follow us on Facebook at the Patriot Angle Podcast and Instagram at Patriot underscore Angle underscore Unfiltered. Also, you can hear every episode on Amazon Music, Audible, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. You can also check out our website, PatriotAnglePodcast.com, and also our unfiltered merchandise, PatriotUnfiltered.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next one.